So today's word comes from Matthew chapter 17, uh, verses 13, sorry, 16, verses 13 to 17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is of the Lord. I'm making too much noise up in here. <laughs> Want to thank my big dog, Rich. Oh, should I call you pastor since we're here in church? Okay. I want to thank Pastor Hong uh, for uh, inviting me. No, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Love your pastor. This is one of my, my road dogs. Uh, last year was tough for my family and I. Uh, there was a reason why we moved from SoCal to uh, Sacramento. Just a lot of issues, a lot of racism we experienced, and uh, we went up to be with Pastor Lance of New City Fellowship of Sacramento, so your sister church. They send their greetings to y'all, and uh, Pastor Hong was one of the, the, the few pastors I really spoke to a lot last year, as I was like, yo, what's going on, bruh? So I'm thankful for him. Um, you guys have an amazing man of God leading y'all. Let's go ahead and uh, pray. The sermon title is in a league of his own, so we'll go ahead and pray and we'll, we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we adore you. Father God, we ask that you will be glorified first and foremost, Heavenly Father, that your people would be edified, and if there's someone here this morning who has not yet come to faith in Christ, that today they will take a step closer, that they may even come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord my God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you guys ever seen an uh, interview on television, right? And uh, the, the person being interviewed starts to talk about Jesus. And uh, they're talking about Jesus in a positive way. They're not making fun of Christ. They're not saying it, you know, something blasphemous or heretical about them, they're actually representing Christ well. What usually happens with the interviewer? So I've seen a few where the person starts to really praise God on television. It's a secular uh, channel. And usually the interviewer starts to get just a little bit nervous. You see them start to kind of shift and squirm in their seat. And uh, it gets kind of awkward real quick. Why is that? Now, let's take that same situation, and the person being interviewed simply mentions the name of God in a general sense. They don't really specify which God they're talking about. They don't say the name of Jesus. They just talk about God in a generic sense. Usually, at that point, nothing happens. The interviewer doesn't start to get kind of nervous or squirm. They're more okay with that. Someone can thank the universe, the light, the force, whatever they believe in, and then no one bats an eye. It's not a big deal. 
You know, black gospel artist, Kirk Franklin, one of my favorite artists uh, in the church, he said, he, he said this quote once, and I, I, it sticks with me. We're living in a day and time where everybody is saying the name God, but nobody wants to say the name Jesus. Again, Risen, I ask you, why is that? It's because there is something radically different about this man named Jesus who, as evangelist Billy Graham said when he was alive, he goes, who is this man who walks across the pages of history? Who is this man who had followers, who has followers to this day all over the globe and yet primarily lived in Israel, this tiny piece of land in the Middle East, for about 33 years, and yet followers here in Hayward? Who is this man who died at 33 years of age and yet has changed our world so much to the point that our historical timeline is literally cut in two? It's literally before he arrived and then after he arrived. Who is this individual who the world is still so divided over? You can name the names of any other religious leader and you're okay, but mention the name of Jesus and things start to get, like I said, awkward, uncomfortable. Some might even get hostile toward you simply for mentioning the name of Jesus Christ. Who is this man whose love causes others to leave the safety, the security, the comforts of home, to go to a land where there are no Starbucks, there are no comforts of America simply to tell others in love and in humility about this man who lived, who died, and who rose again from the grave. And who is this man who confronted his 12 disciples with this question, who do you say that I am? And not only does he confront his disciples he confronts each and every one of us this morning with that same uh, question. It's the most important question you and I will ever answer. Jesus asked each and every one of us at some point, who do you say that I am? I know we're Presbyterian. I know we believe in covenant children and infant baptism. Praise God. Amen. You know, I love that too. But even our covenant children, those who've been baptized, those who've been brought up in the church, Jesus comes and asks them, who do you say that I am? Not who do you say your parents say. Not who does Pastor Honk say. But at some point, even our children who we've baptized and raised up in church have to answer that question for themselves. Who do you say that I am? This man is a man unlike any other who's ever lived and whoever will live. There is none like him. And it is my belief that Jesus of Nazareth is in a league of his own. No one can compare to this carpenter, this craftsman from Nazareth. No one in history can touch him. There's a reason why he's so idolized, even in the secular realm to an extent. Why even secular, non-Christian philosophers and thinkers will look at Jesus of Nazareth and say, there's something about this man. I may not believe everything the Bible says about him. I may not believe everything the church says about him. But I know there's something different about Jesus of Nazareth, something that's unique, 
something that ain't like other people. And we're going to see why this morning. Look at verse 13 with me, y'all. Jesus and his disciples arrived in the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his 12 disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now listen, if you ask 10 random people on the college campus, high school campus, on the streets, the beach, you name it, ask 10 people, who do you say Jesus of Nazareth is? And you're probably going to get 10 different answers. And some of the answers are actually surprising. Some people will say that he's uh, an alien. I've actually heard that, that Jesus was an alien who came down from space to live on earth. I kid you not, I've heard it. And you know, I don't want to be rude. So I'm like, okay, cool. But in my mind, I'm thinking, yo, that, that's, a, that's a new one, that's a new one. Some people will say he's just a normal person, okay? Some people will say that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, also known as Satan. That is what Mormonism teaches about Jesus of Christ, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And listen, although we're far removed from that time period of Matthew 16, it's almost 2,000 years later, nothing has changed because we see multiple answers given to Jesus' question. In verse 14, the disciples answer Jesus. They say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Come back to life which is what evil King Herod said in Mark 6, 14 through 16. Remember, Herod, he's uh, committing sexual immorality with his brother's wife, and John the Baptist goes to him and says, it's not lawful for you to have her as your wife. And John doesn't want to kill John the Baptist, or uh, Herod, excuse me, he doesn't want to kill John the Baptist, but he's tricked, he makes a foolish promise, and he follows through with it, and he kills, he murders, he, uh, um, uh, commi- he makes John, uh, John the Baptist a martyr. And in Mark 6, 14 through 16, Herod is terrified. He thinks, yo, this is John come back from the dead because he's hearing stuff about Jesus that reminds him of John the Baptist. So he's terrified. Others say, well, Jesus, some say that you're the prophet Elijah. Others said, Uh, say that you're the prophet Jeremiah, and then others say that you're just one of our other prophets throughout history. In other words, there is a division among the Jewish people regarding the identity of Jesus. The only consensus that everyone can agree on is that there's something different about him. Some think he is one of the worst people who's come onto the scene. Other people are saying, hey, he's a prophet. And then others are saying something else, which we'll see in just a few minutes, that there's something different about him. And I want you to notice what Jesus says when he asks them this question. He goes, who do people say that the son of man is? Now, listen, we are not Jewish. I don't think there's anyone Jewish in here, right? So therefore, we didn't grow up in this culture, right? We read who is the son of man, and then we kind of just keep reading the verse, right? We're so familiar. Y'all, for a Jewish person, when you say son of man, they, they're, 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 their antennas automatically go up. Why? Why does Jesus say about himself, I am the son of man? What is he saying and why does it make so many people upset when he uses that phrase, that title about who he is? 
It's because he's identifying who he is. Listen, the son of man, that title, that phrase that he uses to describe himself comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. This is one of the great prophetic passages of the Bible. And in this vision that Daniel is having, he sees this son of man, this human being who is also God. And this son of man is given authority, glory, and all power by the Ancient of Days, who in this passage is God the Father. And it says that this Son of Man is not only given authority, power, dominion, and an eternal kingdom, but check it out. What does it say? It says that all the nations and people of every language worshipped him. In this vision, Daniel sees this human who's also God given all of this authority, power, glory, and kingdom. A kingdom that will never be destroyed. And all the peoples, all the peoples, Native Americans, Middle Eastern, African Americans, Korean, you name it. Bowing down to worship the Son of Man and giving him their obedience, their love, their allegiance. Jesus is saying that he is the Son of Man in that passage. Do you remember when he's about to be crucified? He's having that fake trial because, you know, the religious leaders gave him a fake trial. They knew what they wanted to do. And he says, they go, are you the Messiah? Tell us. He goes, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man descending and ascending. You'll see him in all of his glory. And they tear their clothes and they said he's committed blasphemy. What other witness do we need? Kill him. Because why? They know exactly who Jesus is claiming to be. And you see Jesus right here. Jesus is asking what others are saying about him. But look at what he doesn't allow to happen. He doesn't allow people to choose who he is. He's interested in who do you say that I am, but he doesn't give you the option to define who he is for himself. He's saying, I know who I am. I know I'm the son of man. I don't need you to verify that for me. I'm validated already. I know who I am. I know where I come from. But I want to know who do they say that I am. And here's why this is so important for us today. Risen, because we are in Christ, it means that our enemies, our friends, our sin, our past and present and future, our circumstances, does not define who we are. And that is good news. That's good news. Why? Because it means that our best accomplishments don't define who we are. Because if it did, that can lead to pride, arrogance. Here's the flip side of that, though. Our worst mistakes. The choices that you don't want anyone to ever know about. The things that, as Pastor Hong says, the things that our conscience continues to get beat up about, even though we've repented, even though we're forgiven, the things that keep us up at night, those decisions and mistakes do not define who we are because if it did, it would lead us to despair. It would lead us to have no hope in this life. We are more than our worst, our best choices and mistakes. Why is that? It's because ultimately, 
the, the most important aspect, the most important person is Jesus, the Son of Man, who lived the only perfect life in your place. And he goes to the cross and he dies to pay for your mistakes, my mistakes, and then he rises again from the dead. And what does that do for us? It saves us from the penalty, the presence, and the power of sin. Who defines who you are? Who gives you your identity? It's Jesus of Nazareth. You are defined by him. That is why your relationship with your heavenly father is secure. No one, nothing, not even you can take that away, can destroy that. Jesus defines who you are. You are who Jesus Christ says you are. And he says that you are his beloved, the one he laid down his life to save. The father says, you know who you are? You are righteous. You are just because of what my son did in your place. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus saves us and he brings us into God's kingdom, God's new society. And if you have not repented and placed your trust in Jesus alone as of yet, I invite you to do so today, to put, put your full confidence in Jesus of Nazareth. And after the 12, they finish answering this question and they possibly think, well, we're done answering the question. We're going to continue moving on with our journey, right? Because, hey, all he did was ask about who do people say that I am? But then Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, he says, okay, okay. I just wanted to know what people said about me. This is the real question now. Let's forget about everyone else. Who do you say that I am? Listen, these disciples were handpicked by Jesus. They've heard his words. They've seen the miracles. They've experienced the power of this carpenter from Nazareth. They've seen everything that this man is doing, raising people from the dead, giving fish lunches out with just a few pieces. They've seen it all. And now Jesus wants to know, after all that you've seen and have experienced, who am I? Who am I? You walked with me for years now. You've seen my life. You've seen the miracles. Who am I? He finally turns that question to his disciples. And Peter, I love Peter. Peter's my boy because he's, I feel like I'm impulsive like him. I say a lot of stupid things and I find comfort that Jesus would choose Peter because I'm like, yo, that means there's hope for me. But one thing I love about Peter as well is even though he's impulsive, even though Jesus has to put him in his place, Jesus also loves that passion. That's why he says, you're going to be that rock, right? Peter, being the leader of the apostles, steps forward and he answers for the apostles. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a huge confession from Peter and the disciples. What is Peter saying at this point? He's saying that Jesus is not like John the Baptist. Jesus is not like Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything those prophets had to say. Jesus, is, what is he saying? Jesus, you're in a league of your own. 
Can't nobody touch you. Can't nobody be like you. Can't nobody even sit down and tie and untie your sandals. That's who you are. Jesus, you are the Jewish Messiah, the savior of the world. You are who we've waited our entire lives for. You are the one who we prayed for. You are the one that we've looked for. You are the promised one. You are the prophet that Moses told us was going to come. You are the seed of the woman. You are the hope and fulfillment, not only of Israel, but you are the hope and fulfillment of the entire world. You are the great seed of Abraham, the one in whom all the families of the earth will be blessed in. You are the son of man who will receive all authority, power, dominion. You are the one who we prostrate ourselves before and we worship and we give our lives and our heart to. You are the one my heart longs for. That is who you are, Jesus, Yeshua, Rabbi. You are the one who is and was and will come again one day. And this right here, is one reason why the world today still hates Jesus and why they hated him back then. It's because of Jesus and his claims about himself. Listen, is Jesus kind? That's not rhetorical. Is Jesus kind? There we go. All right. Is Jesus meek? Right? Jesus is love, right? Jesus is also intolerant. And I know people say, wait, what, what, what? He's intolerant. Yeah, Jesus is intolerant. He's very intolerant. And guess what? There are times when being intolerant is a good thing. If I see someone hitting someone on the street, yeah, I'm intolerant that that's okay. No, you don't just go smack people on the street. No, you don't harm people for no reason. That's, I'm very intolerant to that. And I'm assuming you guys are too. Intolerance is a good thing at times. But Jesus here is intolerant. I mean, let's be real here. Jesus does not play well with others in the sandbox of religious leaders. You have all the majority of the religions of this world saying, well, it's okay. Your truth is your truth. That truth is that truth. And we can all just be together. Now, listen, we respect others, right? We, we love others. I'm not saying we go out there and we be uh, rude and arrogant about this. But Jesus comes into that sandbox and he goes, well, no. He goes, I am the son of the living God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless you come through me. Jesus says, nah, nah, nah. Acts 4.12, there's no other name given to men under heaven by which you must be saved. It's only through me. Why? Because I'm the only one who paid the debt of sin that you owe to God. No one else. I live the only perfect life in your place. I'm the only one who could say, I always do what pleases my father. I'm the only one who died for you. And I'm the only one who proved that I am who I claim to be. Why? How? Because I physically, literally, in time, space, and history, I came back from the dead. Literally, there is a Jewish man in heaven, physically, sitting on the throne, physically, like you're sitting there, with nails in his hand, 
his side and his feet. He says, I was the one who was dead and yet, look, I live again, just like I promised you I would. I promised you I would return. And look, I've returned. Blessed are all those who take refuge and trust in me. Jesus dismisses every other religion, every other religious leader, and says, it's only through me. You know, I remember watching uh, Oprah one day. It was, it was, this was back in the day, it was a clip. But Oprah's talking, uh, have you guys ever read that book? I don't know if anyone's read the book, Ishmael. It's about a talking gorilla. And I remember it being spoken about in high school down in San Diego. And basically this talking gorilla is talking about how every road leads to God. So my man, Will? Will might say Jesus, right? Rich might say Krishna. And guess what? Will and Pastor Rich, they're both right, right? Because your path and his path, and it all leads to the same thing. So it's like going up a mountain, different paths to the same point. And as they're talking about that, one of the audience members raises her hand and Oprah calls on her. And she goes, well, what about Jesus? And Oprah instantly gets upset. She goes, and don't, I'm not trying to bang on Oprah. I, I, I love me some Oprah too, but Oprah was wrong here. Oprah goes, she goes, well, what about Jesus? And she goes, well, Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. She goes, wait a minute. Does God care about your heart or about what you call his son, what you call Jesus? And basically, the audience was saying, well, both. God cares about both. And here's the issue. God does care about our heart, that our hearts are sinful, and that the only way to get a clean heart is through Jesus. So that, that Jesus is the answer to both, right? And Oprah just got upset. She did not like, and it was, then more Christians started to speak up and say, well, I'm with, I'm with her, Miss Winfrey. Like, I'm a Christian too, and Jesus said this. And eventually she shut, she shut down the conversation. And I remember thinking to myself that Oprah was okay with a false Jesus who was just one of many ways to God. But when she was confronted with the real Jesus of the Bible who claimed to be the only way to God, she could not accept that fact. She had to reject it. And what happens is that because the world hates the real, historical, biblical Jesus, they create a false Jesus whom is tame and whom they can control. A Jesus that they feel comfortable believing in. A Jesus that makes them feel comfortable in their sin instead of the true Jesus who in love will expose us in our sin in order to bring us to himself. Basically, they created an idol, a Jesus who doesn't exist. And one way that the world seeks to do this is a lot of times they'll call Jesus a good moral teacher. They'll say, well, we don't think he's actually the son of God. Come on now. We too smart for that. But I mean, he's a good moral teacher. He's one of the best who's ever lived. In fact, I'll give you that. But again, the true biblical Jesus doesn't play that. Listen to what C.S. Lewis, author of the Chronicles of Narnia, Christian, listen to what he said about this very thing. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. 
I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and this said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. I mean, y'all, let's be honest. If I came up here and said, hey, man, David, David did this? Yo, bruh, eat my flesh and drink my blood, man. You have eternal life. You going to do it? Who going to take me up on that offer? Hey, hey, uh, ma'am, just trust in me. And even though you're dead, you're going to live again. I'm going to raise you up from the dead. You going to believe me? She laughed like, no, I ain't believing you, right? Because why? Good moral teachers don't say stuff like that. That's what cult leaders say. Y'all would be like, bruh, Pastor Hong, get your boy. Who is this cat from Sacramento? Send him back. No one would believe me, right? So either Jesus, as C.S. Lewis says, he goes on to say, you got to make your choice about him because Jesus is either a liar. He knew he wasn't, but he lied. He was crazy thinking that, or he's exactly who he said he was. God in the flesh, the only way to heaven. We all have to make that choice. Either Jesus is a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And if he is Lord, then we should serve and bow before him. And guess what? He is Lord. How? Because he rose from the dead. We have a historical faith. Jesus says, I'm going to not just say it. I'm not just going to demonstrate it. I'm going to prove it. Kill me. And three days later, I'm coming back. And then he appears before 500 plus people in the flesh, physically. And the disciples and John says, listen, this wasn't done in a corner. This wasn't done in secret. Yo, this was public. His crucifixion, public. He publicly rose again and publicly appeared before people. This is a historical faith. Last thing C.S. Lewis says, he goes, let none of us come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not attend to. Listen, Jesus will not allow the world to create an identity for him that they feel comfortable with. But he also will not allow his church to do so either. We're guilty at times of doing this very thing. Certain segments of the church have created a Jesus who cares nothing about biblical social justice for women, refugees, immigrants, people of color, etc., and cares nothing about redemptive ethnic unity. This is unbiblical, and as the church, we must hold fast to the real Jesus, who is neither a conservative or a progressive. Jesus ain't Democrat, nor is he Republican. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus says, you want to put me in one of these small boxes? Bruh, I run stuff. This is my world. What are you talking about, dog? You think I'm a Republican, a Democrat? Get out of here, man. I run things here. I have all authority. What did Jesus say when he rose? He goes, listen, all authority and power has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Why? Because I'm king and I'm running stuff up in this piece. How dare we try to twist Jesus into an idol, a Republican, a Democrat, a conservative, or a progressive. No, Jesus is King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He's the son of man. And that's a good thing. This is the true Jesus of the Bible. And it's to him 
we give our allegiance and our obedience to because he's good and he loves us and he's redeemed us. And it's this Jesus we proclaim to the world. We proclaim to Hayward and to Sacramento. And we say it's this Jesus who calls you into his new society, his eternal kingdom, who will have no end. And lastly, what is Jesus' response to Peter's proclamation of his identity? He responds with excitement and joy. Look at what he says in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. When Jesus says Peter is blessed, what does he mean? He's saying that Peter is highly favored by God and that God is delighted with him. Not because of anything Peter has done, but solely because of his grace, the grace of God. He proclaims that Peter is blessed because it wasn't any human being that revealed who Jesus truly was, but by the Father in heaven, his Father in heaven who did it. Now, some people may say at this point, well, if it's God who reveals who Jesus is and not man, why share the gospel? Right? God is the one who's doing things, so why should I go out of my way to share Christ with those I know and those I don't and those uh, I don't know. Should I not share the gospel actively? No, of course not. Listen, God is so in control. He's so sovereign that he not only ordains the ends, but he also ordains the means to get to that end. What does that mean? God the Father uses our sharing of the gospel, our good deeds as well. He uses that to reveal to others through God the Holy Spirit who Jesus, God the Son, truly is. It's a Trinitarian word. God says, you be faithful in loving, sharing the gospel, and doing good deeds. And let us, as the triune God, let me handle the rest. You just be faithful in your part. We got the rest. So if the truth of verse 17 isn't meant to stop us from sharing the gospel with others, what is it meant to do in our lives? It's meant to keep us humble before God and others. Listen, it's so easy for us as Christians to become prideful. I fall into that trap, right? How could you not see the truth of the gospel? How could you not be a Christian, right? I may not say that out loud, but sometimes I can act that way. I'm going to keep it real. There's times where it's easy to look down upon people who reject Jesus, and not just reject them, but who are really hostile towards him, right? And we almost become like that uh, Pharisee in the Gospels that says, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that non-believer. I'm glad I'm not like I'm glad that I, I, I follow you, Jesus. We get prideful and we get arrogant. We believe that we became Christians based on our own intellect and wisdom. And nothing can be farther from the truth. The only reason why you and I believe in Jesus is because of God's gracious gift in opening up our, our eyes to the truth. That's it. We're not smarter, we're not wiser, we're not better than any non-Christian that we know. We are only in Jesus Christ because God has had mercy on us and the Holy Spirit has opened up our eyes and brought us to the Savior. That's it. God bless you. This truth is also meant to keep us encouraged in our daily witness for Christ. I don't know about y'all, but there have been times where I've shared the gospel with someone for years, prayed for them, and man, it just seems like God ain't listening. This person still remains 
obstinate, hardened. And I can, you can get discouraged in sharing the gospel. This truth keeps you encouraged. Why? Because guess what? It's the Holy Spirit who opens the eyes of anyone to the truth of the gospel. So we can pray and as the Spirit leads, continue to share the gospel, knowing that, Lord, if this is one of yours, he will come, she will come. This encourages us in our daily witness to keep saying, Lord, I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm going to fight against that because ultimately you're God, I'm not. And if this person is going to get saved, guess what? You'll use me to bring about that, that, that reality. He hears our prayers and he can save even the most hard-hearted person we know. So as I close, saints, think about the fact that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, is the God who died for you. He lived and rose again for you, for your salvation. He did it to show the depth of his love for us as his people. There's a song that says, Amazing Love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? What God dies for his rebellious creatures? Only one, and his name is Jesus. He is in a league of his own, and no one can touch him. And lastly, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you're hearing this, you're saying, I know I'm not right with God. I know I need Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul uh, said in Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, Lord. I thank you. We love you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. There is none like him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is running things down here, Lord. We thank you that we don't have a partisan Jesus. We have a supreme, sovereign Jesus. And this sovereign, supreme Jesus loves us. He has called us to himself. Thank you for bringing us into the church, into your new society, Heavenly Father. And Holy Spirit, use us to proclaim the good news of this Jesus to Hayward and to Sacramento. May there be a revival through you, Holy Spirit. Use us, God, to save those in this room, Lord, who are not saved if there's any here today, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.